Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. You're in the right place to hear about one of the greatest running backs in football history, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Author Dan Taylor comes on to tell us all about trailblazer Kenny Washington and his football career. Coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal of a positive football history. And welcome to another edition where we get to go down a road of reading and reading about a great legend of the game of football. And we have an author that we're very familiar with. His name is Dan Taylor. We had him on our Jersey Dispatch podcast a few months ago, talking about the great Babe Ruth and his book, Baseball at the Abyss. Uh, Dan Taylor, welcome back to the Pig Pen. Well, it's, it's nice to be in a pig pen. I always got punished when my bedroom as a kid was called a pig pen, but uh, it's fun to be in yours. Oh, uh, if your parents could only see you now, right? Being that's right. Pen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, thanks, Darren. My, my, my parents still yell at me for being in the pig pen, but that's, uh, that's okay. <laughs> So, Dan, you've got a really interesting topic that uh, when when we had you on before, after we got done recording, we talked about and you told me about some of your other works. And this one really caught my attention because this is a very a player that a lot of us know the name and know some of the attributes of him, but maybe don't know a whole lot of them and myself included until I read your, your great book. Uh, and why don't you give us the title of the book and tell us a little bit about what it's out. About. Well, Darren, the, the book's called Walking Alone, the, foot, the story of football pioneer Kenny Washington. And uh, like a lot of people, I had heard of Kenny Washington, uh, been to a few UCLA games over the years and seen the tributes to him there, the retired jersey number 13, uh, you know, stuff in game programs about him. Uh, so I knew in, in UCLA context, he was a pretty good player, but I had no idea how good he was. I mean, I, I think it's really safe to say that Kenny Washington in his heyday may have been the best if not one of the very best ever to play the game. I I mean, uh, this is a guy that uh, a tremendous running back, but uh, he also had an amazing throwing arm, uh, could throw a football a hundred yards in the air. Um, As a sophomore at UCLA, set a college football record with a, with a pass that sailed 72 yards in the air. And of course, uh, teaming in 1939, his senior season uh, with a, a junior running back by the name of Jackie Robinson, uh, they led UCLA to its first unbeaten season uh, and, and a tremendous season uh, that saw them uh, receive their first high national ranking. 
Now, we, we did a piece on the Gold Dust Trio a few years ago, and we got great response. And that's probably what a lot of our listeners and our and our readers of our website know about them. And it's just my limited knowledge of, of knowing about it. But, of course, we were talking. We had you know Jackie Robinson and, and Willie Strode in that same conversation with uh, you know, that great team UCLA had. So I, I didn't get the focus too much, and I, I wish I would have, you know, back then to have read your book to know the accomplishments of this man. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment because I think it's brilliant. I love the details of, of, of especially a sports history book when you get into the minutia and you see the early beginnings of things. And, and your book does just that. You know, first of all, you had a, a great forward by, you know, a hero of mine and being a former a high school football official, you know, Mr. Jim Tunney, you know, who's a great NFL uh, zebra there for, for many years. Uh, and he, he has a connection to Kenny Washington and maybe a family connection. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and how Jim came to be on your, in your book. Well, Jim's uh, father, Jim Tunney senior was a, uh, a great high school football coach and later high school administrator. And, and he was Kenny Washington's high school coach at Lincoln high school in Los Angeles. So, uh, he really unearthed uh, that talent and polished it and uh, and, and was really uh, instrumental in, in directing him to, to go to UCLA. But uh, Jim Jr. certainly spent a, a lot of time on the sidelines with his dad and, and as a boy saw uh, Kenny and, and came to be friends with Kenny and near the end of Kenny's life was very involved in a, in a tribute banquet for Kenny, uh, putting that together. So there was a great closeness and and I was really touched when Jim uh, very enthusiastically agreed to to write the forward to the book. Yeah, and it was just you know it wasn't uh, a, a super clinical explanation. It was very heartfelt and you know, you know just uh, very conversational the way he he brought it about and you displayed it in the book. And I thought it was it was brilliant and uh, really appreciated that. And it really gave some good highlights, almost like a, a second preface to the the book that you had to sort of give us a little bit of taste of what we're going to be getting into in the book. And I, I really, I loved it, you know, especially with the connection of his father being his coach, you know, small world there. <laughs> and, and, and Jim told me when, uh, in one of our first conversations, uh, Jim shared that uh, on, uh, in his home office, he has two pictures on, on the, uh, the desk. Uh, well, he has a picture, I should say two people pictured on his desk and has for years. And it's a picture of his father with Kenny Washington. And it's a, a photograph that he he cherishes and values deeply. Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, I thought that was awesome. And then when we got into the book, you know, got into the story, I think the introduction, maybe in the first chapter, uh, we got a little bit of background on Kenny Washington's father with, uh, that I never knew it was uh, kind of a, a big deal himself in the fields of athletics. So maybe yeah, many different us. genres. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, his, his dad was a, a very good athlete. Um, boxed professionally, lied about his age. Uh, he was he was underage, of, uh, uh, became a professional prize fighter in, in Southern California, but was a, a terrific baseball player as well. And and uh, nineteen or yeah, nineteen sixteen uh, had an initial uh, part of a season in, in Negro League baseball, and then uh, in nineteen twenty, when the uh, Kansas City Monarchs came into existence uh, in the Negro League, so he was their initial first baseman uh, at that time. Uh, so yeah, a, a tremendous athlete. And a lot of people have asked, uh, you know, did he work with his son? Did he help his son? And, and sadly he was really an absent father. Uh, he was a partier, uh, a rolling stone, 
uh, not much of a relationship, father and son there. And Kenny was largely raised by a grandmother, and the uh, the father figure in his life was was an uncle, uh, his uncle Roscoe, uh, who he called Uncle Rocky, uh, who was a Los Angeles uh, police lieutenant. Uh, uh, but yeah, Kenny. Kenny's father certainly uh, was a tremendous athlete and later an actor. Uh, he, he had bit parts in, in dozens, if not hundreds, of, uh, of movies uh, over a long career um, on the screen. Yeah, I, I was amazed by that. I thought that was a, a great story. You know, it's, the connection, like you said, wasn't uh, the great father figure to him. But it, I think it also sort of tells you a lot about Kenny because you tell us how he got such a strong arm and the accuracy and some of those early fundamentals. Uh, you know, maybe you could explain some of that as a child. Well, he just yeah. loved uh, throwing the ball and, and would throw a ball against the wall uh, you know, hundreds of times a day. And there were a couple of large parks uh, near his home. He grew up in an area of Los Angeles called Lincoln Heights. And Lincoln Heights is really just uh, across the Los Angeles River uh, from the area where Dodger Stadium is located. And at that time, that was the immigrant section of Los Angeles. And and it was very interesting because uh, I, I spoke to Kenny's daughter and asked about the relationship between her father and Jackie Robinson. And they were friends. And Kenny was somewhat of a mentor to Jackie. But she said that her dad always felt that there was a, a tinge of resentment. And I asked if that was because Kenny was really the big star in Los Angeles um, over Jackie. And she said, no, it was really the different upbringings. Uh, the, the Jackie grew up in a, in a predominantly white area, Pasadena, and took a lot of abuse. Uh, whereas Kenny was in Lincoln Heights, which uh, being an immigrant area, there were people from all over the world. He lived, his neighbors were Italians. And uh, Woody Strode laughed that when Kenny arrived at UCLA, the thing that kind of blew away his teammates was not necessarily his athleticism, but that he spoke with a, a hint of an Italian accent uh, because he was really raised in the homes of, the, of these neighbors uh, who were immigrants from Italy. Um, and, and everybody was just trying to get ahead and, and they didn't carry the same stereotypes of other ethnicities, uh, that a lot of, uh, Americans did. So Kenny was just, he was not treated like he was different. Um, they had him in their homes. Um, and then athletically, you know, with their kids, he would play, uh, in the park nearby and, and very early the, you know, throwing against the wall, developed that arm strength and, uh, some of the older teenagers in the park. Uh, when they saw Kenny throwing uh, a baseball around or a football around, they just assumed he was much older uh, than he really was. And, and ultimately, he was able to play in games with, with much older uh, children uh, based on the strength of his arm and, of course, his, his running speed and his overall athletic skills. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I th thought the parts of the story that you just said were, were fascinating. I thought you know, taking that to the next step when he started his high school career and the impact he had on that, not only the community of Lincoln Heights, but the high school he was at and sort of elevated their game to a new level. I found that quite interesting too. Yeah. Lincoln High, Lincoln high School was really not a, an athletic powerhouse. Uh, you had your Fremont High and, and a few others that were really strong athletically. Uh, but Lincoln High was more of an academic uh, oriented school and a lot of uh, Big name actors uh, came out of Lincoln High School. Robert Young, maybe one of the biggest names. Uh, Father knows best. Um, mm -hmm. But there were a number of actors that came out of their their uh, drama or theater arts program, whatever it was they called it at the time. Uh, so they ha didn't have a lot of athletic success historically. And then when Kenny came in, um, you know, Jim Tunney Sr. gave him some time in the backfield uh, as a sophomore and 
and he really showed a lot of ability. He was very thin, and uh, but he but he did show a lot of uh, initial ability. And then uh, once he got under center as a junior and senior, why they never lost. Um, he took them to their first city championship, and likewise did the same in baseball. He was a tremendous baseball talent as well. And then uh, track and field, uh, he, he he didn't compete on the team until his senior year. Uh, when they pulled him on the, the track team kind of out of necessity. And he, he scored so many points in the league championship that he, he brought the school their first uh, track and field league championship. But in football, what was interesting in his senior year was they're heading toward a city title. And when they get to the city championship, they're trying to figure if uh, a stadium big enough to, to handle the crowd. Uh, they thought they would go to, uh, to Gilmore stadium, which was uh, a minor league football stadium, uh, uh, where he later played professionally, but uh, that seated about 20,000, and they were really worried that they weren't going to be able to handle it. The, the high school stadium they initially were going to play at, they knew it couldn't handle the crowd they were going to get. And ultimately, they ended up playing the game in, in the Los Angeles Coliseum. Uh, how many kids have that experience to, to play a championship high school game in, in an Olympic stadium uh, such as the Coliseum? But Haney did, and, and, and they were successful, won a city title, and there was a remarkable uh, uh, three-year run that, that Lincoln High School had athletically when Kenny Washington was at the school. They've, they've never replicated that at all. Yeah, and you know he was such an impactful athlete that he sort of affected. Uh, you know, it, you know, we're talking about the 1930s, and I know California was a little bit different uh, in society than it was in the East and the South and other parts of the country as far as race relations. Uh, but still, it was kind of a unique situation for an African American to be uh, heavily recruited by some some big schools, and I thought that was uh, a tremendous part of the story. Well, he wanted to go to there were a couple of schools that he was most interested in. He grew up a Notre Dame fan. Uh, that program was not yet integrated, so that was out of the picture for him. Um, his uncle took him up to Berkeley to, to visit the University of California. And that program had previously been integrated. But at the time uh, when Kenny was coming out of Lincoln High School, the coach they had just brought in uh, did not want his team to be integrated. So that opportunity was, was not going to happen. Uh, there were other schools. Loyola in Los Angeles uh, had an integrated program. They very much wanted him. Uh, St. Mary's, which at that time they've since dropped football, but they were a very strong college football program there in the early 30s. Uh, they very much wanted him. Uh, so, yeah, he had a number of opportunities. But, you know, we look at the we call it the Pac-12 now. Back then it had a different name, uh, the Pacific Coast Conference back then. And it was interesting because many of those schools had yet to integrate. Stanford had integrated during their first season, but that lone African-American on that initial team uh, chose not to play. And Stanford did not integrate, uh, I believe it was into the 1950s. Um, uh, Cal had, then got away from it, then got back to, to uh, recruiting black athletes. But in the, in the Northwest, uh, Washington State was not an integrated program. Washington was. Uh, the two Oregon schools, I think the University of Oregon did briefly uh, integrate. Oregon State had not. And then in Los Angeles, when he got to UCLA and, and started having success, you know, the, the boosters at USC were up in arms and, and were really angry that the, the coaches and the athletic director at, at USC were not integrating that program. And, you know, they had the, the tired old lame excuse, well, none of them are coming out for the team. There's no blacks coming out for the team. 
And that's certainly not the point. What's your coaching staff doing? If, if UCLA is loading up on talent with Woody Strode, who really was an underrated uh, talent, uh, I think had there been the Olympics in 1940, if they weren't canceled by war, he may very well have been America's decathlete. Um, uh, he joined uh, Kenny in integrating the National Football League with the Rams. Uh, you had Jackie Robinson. They, they had five African-Americans on the team that uh, 1939 season, four of whom were starters. And, and at USC, you know, that, that certainly got the, their boosters upset. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. And, and uh, the recruitment of, of Kenny Washington had a lot to do with those programs that were accepting and, and keen to have him and, and those uh, you know, keeping him at, at arm's distance and, and not really yet ready to, to, to move forward with integration. Now, was UCLA, you know, we know them now. They're, you know, uh, they're a powerhouse out in the West. We, you know, they're a highly regarded program for football. But what were they when, when Kenny Washington, right before he got there? <laughs> they were not very good. Um, in fact, they had, uh, their program was so bad that they actually withdrew from the Pacific Coast Conference uh, for a few years. Uh, USC was just kicking their teeth in. I think they, they lost it one meeting 72 to nothing. And another was pretty comparable to that. And so their administration felt that they were in over their head and, and that they should drop down and play a lower level of football. And they did and started playing schools like Occidental and Caltech and, and schools like that. Uh, most of whom don't have football anymore. Um, but they brought in, they really were ambitious. There, there was a segment of their, of their, uh, their booster supporters that were very ambitious and, and wanted to see them uh, on, a, on an equal plane with USC across town. And so the administration uh, went and uh, pursued Bill Spaulding as the head coach. Uh, he had been the head coach at Minnesota and had had some very good success there, uh, upset uh, Illinois with Red Grange when they were undefeated. And, and so they brought him in to try to really build this program up. And that was one of the things uh, – that, you know, Darren, I was really kind of uh, disappointed I couldn't get an answer to was, you know, where was Bill Spaulding so unique? What made him so welcoming? What made him so open-minded? Um, where you had other coaches like the USC, Howard Jones, one of the great coaches in the country, you know, was not aggressively going out and recruiting African-Americans. And there were a number of extremely talented African-American players in Los Angeles high schools. So Bill Spaulding you know, pursuing uh, Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and, and others, uh, uh, Jackie Robinson, ultimately. Um, I know the athletic director at the time at UCLA in 37 and 38, uh, Kenny and Woody's sophomore and junior years, uh, there was an article I came across where he was asked if he was having difficulty booking uh, train transportation, hotels, buses uh, for an integrated college football team. And he said, not really, that uh, for the most part, when, when there was an objection, he would just say, we're all God's children. Hmm. Uh, but Bill Spaulding, I, I certainly had that, that uh, desire to know more about the man and, and unfortunately was not able to, to learn that about him. But I think one illustration that you give of Coach Spaulding was uh, Kenny Washington's first varsity game and the first few moments of that. Because I thought the, the patience of Coach Spaulding is, uh, you know, very, uh, very stoic and very, very, uh, you know, very proud that the, the guy did that because he really, you know, gave this kid a chance. And uh, I'll, I'll let you explain how it started off for him. Well, and Darren, what's interesting is for a northerner. Now, this is a guy who really had not had a lot of exposure uh, with Jim Crow states and the things that went on there. You know, he was a northern guy, um, you know, Indiana, Minnesota, 
uh, and then coming into Los Angeles. And, and so it was very interesting because there were players on the UCLA team when Kenny arrived on the varsity uh, in the fall of 1937 as a sophomore. Uh, you know, there were players that were not accepting of him. Uh, there were two guys on the left side of the line who said they weren't going to block for him when he got the ball. Um, you know, they ran the single wing so that it, direct snaps would go to any of the backs, but generally it would go to Kenny. And, and at that time, Kenny's arm strength and, and running abilities, uh, he may have been the, the precursor to today's run pass option uh, because he had that option on every play. Um, but yeah, there were these, these players that were from, they were from the South. Uh, they did not like the team being integrated. And in scrimmages, they would lie down when Kenny had the ball and, and let him take a beating. And, and it was very interesting to read how Bill Spaulding dealt with that. In the opener, they played the University of Oregon. And Kenny, very quickly, uh, in his first varsity game, going into the third quarter, he had scored three touchdowns, and they had a good lead. And when it got to the end of the third quarter, Bill Spaulding simply took Kenny out. And the purpose, it wasn't – you know, some looked at it and said, well, it's, it's a great uh, display of sportsmanship, uh, you know, treating Oregon in a positive way this way and taking Kenny out. Uh, but that wasn't it at all. He was trying to teach the players who uh, felt negatively toward Kenny and Woody Strode. He was trying to teach them a lesson. And, and it worked because they didn't gain any yardage at all when Kenny and Woody were out of the game in the fourth quarter. And uh, no first downs, no, very little positive yardage. And uh, the message to these players was, we're going to win because of these guys. And, and if you aren't going to help them be successful, we're not going to win. And you better get on this team or leave this team. And they learned the lesson. And ultimately, as the season progressed, they bought into it and, and befriended uh, uh, Kenny Washington. And the UCLA program started moving in a very positive direction. Yeah, I, I, that whole Oregon game, that first game, even the way it started, I believe Kenny Washington muffed, muffed the opening kickoff and Oregon recovered it deep in, in UCLA territory. And uh, just to have the the patience uh, with his young back and, you know, with everything else going on with the teammates, you know, sort of being against him playing and, and this probably start part of the crowd. And I'm sure he, it wasn't an easy time for coach, but to stick with that kid and, it paid dividends just a few plays later. Well, and there'd been so much hype. I mean, the, the papers all throughout Southern California had been hyping Kenny as, uh, you know, a messiah, that, that he was the guy that was going to take UCLA football to the promised land. And here, the first time he touches the football as a varsity football player, he fumbles it away and it leads to an Oregon score. But, and Darren, how many coaches have, have we encountered over the years that, you know, fumble that means you're on the bench. You know, I can't trust giving you the football, but you know, he got Kenny right back in there in the next offensive series, positive yardage led to a touchdown and, uh, and a, and a big touchdown. You get a, a very long touchdown run uh, down the sideline that electrified the, the Coliseum crowd. And, and he was on his way to a, a remarkable college career. Yeah. And just, you know, like you said, the second half, he, he featured uh, Kenny and uh, just, you know, sort of blew the game open a little bit and then when everything's going good like you said he yanks him and him and willie strode and okay guys see, see how you do now I, I thought that was it was brilliant move by the coach and well told and as you as a storyteller telling us that so great Thank job you. on that great job on that so where did kenny's career go from that you know his, his sophomore season you know they they end up winning that first game over oregon how, how does the the rest of that season go and into the next well, he, UCLA was really riddled by injuries uh, much of the rest of that season. Their next game 
Uh, they had a bye after the Oregon game and then went up to Stanford. And there were a couple of incidents that occurred. Kenny took a bad knock on the knee, broke a, he actually in practice had broken a couple of fingers on his right hand. So he had trouble gripping the football to throw it well. And when the Stanford defense realized that, they, they just pinned their ears back and came after him. And um, he was running very well in the first quarter in that game, but took a bad knock to the knee and was hobbled a bit and uh, was not as effective the rest of the game. And they, they uh, fell in an upset loss to Stanford. But prior to that game, uh, another of his uncles, uh, who was a firefighter in Los Angeles, uh, uh, he was making the long drive from Los Angeles up to Palo Alto for that game uh, with uh, a couple of buddies and, and a female friend. And they were involved in a horrific auto accident uh, midway through their drive in the middle of the night. Uh, they were involved in a head-on collision with, a, with a, a large truck and Washington's uncle was killed. And there was a lot of debate uh, among the administration and the coaching staff whether to tell Kenny before the game. And the head coach felt, no, uh, enough of the media are, are arriving. Enough of the sports writers are coming here and they've been in the newsroom. They know that it's been on the teletype uh, and, and we have to let him know. And, and Kenny was devastated uh, when he found out about it, uh, but he went forward and played. Um, and then the following week, the funeral I think that if I remember right, the team was leaving on a train for Oregon on Thursday. The funeral was Thursday morning. Uh, and he actually, I believe, went up on a separate train uh, to Oregon to, to play in, in their third game of the season. But, but injuries did affect him uh, through most of that season. And then at the end of the season, they had the rivalry game with USC. And they were way behind in that game in the fourth quarter. And suddenly he started clicking, throwing the football rather than running. And he had a couple of long touchdown passes that got them back in the game. And, and uh, one of which happened to be, at that time, the longest pass uh, in the air ever thrown in a college football game. It ended up getting national attention, great publicity uh, all around the country. Uh, and then uh, as time was running out, he had, a, he had a, a tackle eligible play. And it actually the pass went to the tackle who had, was from the South and had not uh, been in favor of Kenny being on the team uh, early in the season. And uh, they ran a tackle eligible play. Kenny hit him with a pass. He went on in for the touchdown, but they ruled that he had slipped and his knee was down at about, I guess the 30 yard line. So it came back this time. They sent Kenny out of the backfield on a, on a pass route and he was in the end zone. And the guy who had caught on the previous drives caught a, a number of the long touchdown passes from Kenny was still pretty winded from all the running he was doing. And now they asked him to try to hit Kenny with a pass. And uh, he underthrew Kenny. Kenny dove back to try to catch it at the goal line. And it bounced uh, an inch or two in front of his hands. And UCLA lost uh, a one-possession loss. But it, it really showed everybody uh, where the UCLA program was going and just how prolific a, a talent Kenny Washington was. Well, that's uh, yeah, that was a, I thought that was a great uh, – learning lesson even though they lost the game i think it helped them for those that's junior and senior year uh where he got a little bit more help in the backfield too and it was a future years him and him willie strode so maybe you could tell us about those uh, the final two seasons at ucla well the the junior season was a disappointment uh and ultimately the the boosters pressured bill spaulding into retirement uh and uh, but at the end of that season um usc was to go to the uh, Pineapple Bowl in Hawaii. 
and then they ended up winning the conference and going to the Rose Bowl. So Pineapple Bowl needed a replacement, and, and UCLA went uh, as the uh, the representative. And uh, it was a tremendous day. They played the University of Hawaii, and uh, Washington had a tremendous day. But uh, Hawaii focused so much on trying to stop Kenny, which was really the game plan everybody had uh, as that season progressed. The feeling was you stop Kenny, you stop the Bruins. And uh, so another of the backs had a huge uh, rushing game. Uh, Kenny was very successful, did get in the end zone a couple of times in that game. But the feeling was that, that uh, you know, that was really the, the launching pad to a huge uh, 39 season. And, and Kenny did receive some uh, uh, all-coast recognition, some second-team All-America recognition. And I think, the you know, uh, one of the humorous things of that uh, Pineapple Bowl was uh, Kenny here is, is they had played a kind of a warm up game three or four days prior against a, a club team in Hawaii, and uh, Walter Winchell uh, that night went on the air with this uh, scoop that Kenny Washington was in a hospital in Los Angeles with a head injury, and all the Los Angeles newspaper guys were just howling, saying, you know, Kenny, no, 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 Kenny Washington scored five touchdowns today in a game against this club team here in in Honolulu, so he he's perfectly <laughs> fine. <laughs> but the wow. senior year, that's when Jackie Robinson came in and uh, Kenny was the left back. Jackie was the right back. And uh, they, Jackie had some injury problems that year. He had foot and ankle problems and missed, uh, I believe, three games uh, in the in the middle part of the season. Um, but uh, they they really uh, it was a juggernaut. They, they they were climbing week after week in the national rankings, got into the top 10. And then it all came down to the rivalry game with USC. And uh, it was the largest crowd. The game in the Coliseum pulled the largest crowd ever to see a college football game. 103,300 fans. Uh, NBC came out uh, and, and broadcast it coast to coast. Now we're talking radio, uh, not television <laughs> back then in 1939. And so it was the game of the day in, in, in college, uh, college football. And, and it was going to decide who would go to the Rose Bowl. And uh, it had interesting ramifications because Tennessee had already accepted to be the opponent. And Tennessee thought, you know, no big deal. It's going to be USC. And then when uh, UCLA won the week prior over Washington State, suddenly Tennessee realized, "Uh uh-oh, we may have to play a team that has five black players. And Tennessee sent word that if it was UCLA, they weren't coming. And this was a real problem because uh, all the bowl games were full. So Tennessee's players and coaches were basically saying, we would rather stay home and not play in a bowl game instead of going out and playing UCLA and their, their five black players. And, uh, and that led the Pacific Coast Conference to initiate talks with the Big Ten that a couple of years down the road finally reached an agreement that those two conferences would pit their champion every year in the Rose Bowl. Uh, wow. But 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 that particular game, uh, it ended a nothing nothing tie, and uh, UCLA was driving in the final minutes. The uh, play call uh, was made for Kenny to throw a pass into the end zone, and uh, he had his guy open. And at the last minute, the defender uh, turned, realized the ball was coming, put an arm out, and knocked it down for an incomplete pass. And that was a fourth down play, and it turned it over to uh, USC. And at that point, the uh, UCLA coach, Babe Harrell, 
realizing the magnitude of this, of the moment, elected to take Kenny Washington out of the game to get his to get an ovation. And he didn't just tell him to come out of the game. He told him, I want you to, to make that walk to the tunnel toward the locker room because he wanted him to get that full ovation. And the minute he came off the field, everybody realized what was happening. And all 103,000 fans rose and gave him a, a full standing ovation until he disappeared into the tunnel uh, Wow! to the locker room. It was a, just a, a tremendous moment in college football history. Yeah, you can't you can't uh, write even movie scripts about that. That's just the reality of it. It's just tremendous. Now, I, I find it amazing. Even you know, I've known about this for a while, but to have you know Willie Strode and Jackie Robinson and Kenny Washington, you know, three of probably the the top five trailblazers in uh, you know professional sports of the the black eight athletes entering into mainstream sports. You know, Jackie Robinson with baseball and, you know, Willie Strode and Jackie or uh, Kenny Washington with uh, Miriam Motley and, and Bill Willis, sort of the, the big four that are always recognized. I, I just can't believe that three of them were in that same backfield at UCLA. I, I, I still find that amazing and makes the hairs on the back of your neck tingle a little bit. Well, it's interesting. You look at UCLA as a, as a pioneering institution and and so many Arthur Ashes come out of there. And, and uh, of course, Jackie Robinson. uh uh, Jackie Robinson, maybe one of the greatest athletes in American history, uh, participated in four sports at UCLA, NCAA champion in the long jump, conference scoring champion, basketball, uh, baseball player, and and uh, the following year in 1940, his senior year, second team All-American. Um, Woody Strode, as I mentioned before, very underrated player, kind of played a, a sort of a tight end position. Uh, he and Kenny played both ways. Uh, Kenny was a strong safety, but they used him in a lot of different ways uh, as an outside linebacker and in some situations like a defensive end. Uh, but Woody Strode was an interesting guy. I mean, he he was about lifting weights decades before that became a popular thing to do. Uh, made a lot of money on the side posing for artists. Um, uh, he, but he was a tremendous athlete. Uh, and, and yes, uh, UCLA had uh, remarkable talent on that particular team, but that kind of led that led the way. As I alluded to, you look at other programs at UCLA and, and the pioneering athletes they had, uh, and it really all started with that 1939 team with with Kenny and Woody and Jackie Robinson, and and uh, uh, really led the way and, and made the African American athletes know that this was a school they could go to or where they could be accepted and and wouldn't have any issues in trying to attain an education and participate in sports. Now, I guess uh, we got to bring up something that's kind of important here because the, the even though UCLA and some of the West Coast colleges were very accepting of integration of uh, football teams, uh, the National Football League was not at that time, and so Kenny was did, didn't look like he was going to have the opportunity. Him or Willie Strode to ha- could have the opportunity until some changes happened and uh, some, some teams moved around a little bit. Maybe you could talk about what Kenny did after college and, and how he got into the NFL. Sure. Following his senior season, uh, he, well, he, he, uh, his popularity really brought it about. I mean, he, he starred in a movie, uh, but he also uh, did a lot of uh, playing in all-star specific all-star games uh, that were structured and marketed around him. Uh, but he, he did play in the uh, the famous college All-America game in Chicago. 
uh, which is not played any longer, but it was it was a, a decades long uh, staple that that really started off the, the, the football season. Uh, the college all America game each year would would pit the just graduated senior standouts against the reigning NFL champions. So Kenny was selected to play on this team and uh, they played against the Green Bay Packers and and Kenny scored a touchdown. Kenny uh, had a, a near game record. I think it missed by a yard or two of being a, a new game record punt return. And the Packer players afterwards were saying if he, if he were to come into the league, he'd be the biggest star in the, in the NFL. But unfortunately, the, the league was not signing or drafting black players. Uh, the day of that USC game in December of 39, the NFL held its draft. And on their big board, they had over 200 names of college seniors that were eligible for the draft. And Kenny's name was not on that list, even though he was on something like eight All-America teams and, and was the winner of the, uh, uh, the Fairbanks Award, which was uh, alongside the Heisman Trophy, one of the two awards for College Football Player of the Year. Uh, so a new league was created. Uh, in Los Angeles. And then when Kenny was in Chicago playing in the All-America All game, uh, he brought his fiance back and they married in Chicago. Uh, and on the train ride back to Los Angeles, he was making plans to get on with his life. His plan was to, to uh, finish the last few classes to get his degree and then enroll in law school at Loyola University. And he planned to, to, uh, to become a lawyer and, and his goal was to work for the FBI. Uh, but when he got back home to Los Angeles, he found that they had created a professional football league on the West Coast, the Pacific Coast Football League, and that it was going to be an integrated football league. And uh, uh, the guy who created the league and was going to own and be the head coach of the Hollywood Bears uh, happens to be the coach who cut the last African-American player in the NFL before the NFL stopped signing black players. Uh but he wanted Kenny very much and also Woody Strode and uh, Kenny agreed that he offered Kenny a, a salary that was uh, pretty comparable to the, to the highest salary uh, being paid in the NFL. And so Kenny went ahead and joined uh, the Hollywood bears and, and played for them in 1940 and then again in 1941. And he was a sensation. Uh, every city in the league drew its biggest crowds, generally sellout crowds uh, when the Hollywood bears would come to town uh, they were drawing close to, if not capacity, crowds at, at uh, Gilmore Stadium in Los Angeles, which which held about 22,000. They had another L.A. team, the L.A. Bulldogs, uh, and Jackie Robinson played briefly for them uh, in 41. Uh, they played in, in Wrigley Field, the ballpark in L.A., where the L.A. Angels uh, played their games. And uh, they would draw, uh, when the when the Hollywood Bears with Kenny would go in there to play the Bulldogs, they'd draw 20 to 25,000. So uh, he was a huge uh, hit with fans, extremely popular uh, in Los Angeles. And, and, and I contend that that popularity and the crowds that he generated for pro football really laid the groundwork for pro football to come to uh, the West Coast and, and specifically Los Angeles. So then the war breaks out. Pro football in Southern California goes on hiatus during the war. Uh, Kenny became a police officer in Los Angeles um, for a couple of years. Uh, at the end of the war, the, the Pacific Coast Football League started up again. Uh, he resigned from the police force, uh, played the 1945 season for the Hollywood Bears, had a big season. Late in the year, though, he injured his knee. 
And just at the end of that season in January was when the Cleveland Rams, fresh off winning the NFL championship, decided uh, we, we couldn't fill a 17,000-seat stadium in Cleveland with a championship team. We're getting out of here, and we're moving to L.A. And the first move they made was to uh, integrate the National Football League and to sign Kenny Washington. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so Kenny Washington was before Willie Strode on, in the signing, or was they about the yes. same time? Yeah, Woody Strode was still in the service. He was uh, okay. finishing up his uh, Army Air Corps uh, obligations, and uh, I believe uh, Kenny technically Kenny signed a secret contract uh, in June. Uh, Chili Walsh, the general manager of the Rams, came to Los Angeles, uh, and there was a very contentious meeting of the LA Coliseum commission, the Rams wanted a lease and the sports editors of the three black papers in Los Angeles argued that uh, as long as they were in a league that uh, refused to sign black players, they should not be able to play in a stadium that was paid for with tax dollars, including tax dollars from African-Americans in Southern California. Uh, the Rams vowed that they were going to, uh, to break the color barrier in the national football league and, and they did uh, before Chili Walsh left Los Angeles to return to Cleveland. Uh, he had uh, seen to it that Kenny had signed uh, an under the table contract. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted to do was make a big splash with a big announcement in March when all of the, uh, the coaching staff and the front office staff arrived in Los Angeles, having finished up closing out the office in Cleveland. And, there, and indeed, the very first press conference the Los Angeles Rams held was to announce the signing of, of Kenny Washington. And it was in May when Woody Strode finally uh, got uh, released from the Army Air Corps. And, and Kenny pushed uh, very hard uh, for him to get a look. And the Rams went ahead and signed Woody Strode at that time. Uh, you know, you have to sit there and appreciate uh, what the Rams organization and the city of Los Angeles did. You know, here you had the furthest team west was probably like Green Bay at that point. And you have Cleveland picking up and, you know, we're going, you know, a couple thousand miles and going out to the West Coast. And by the way, we're going to break this uh, gentleman's agreement that, uh, you know, the owners have had for, you know, 30 years or so since, you know, the Fritz Pollards and and folks like him were, were playing in the early NFL. And so now you have these two big announcements and, you know, teams are having to travel to play out there. How, how did the rest of the NFL react uh to these two decisions of the Rams franchise? The, the move was pretty much a done deal. I mean, they, they certainly, people had been looking at it. Washington had always trained uh, in Southern California or San Diego. They'd held preseason training out on the West Coast. Uh, there'd been rumors of teams looking out on the West Coast. And and one of the things that, that uh, really furthered uh, the NFL's desire to grab um, Los Angeles was that... Uh, uh, you know, a second league was starting. The All-America Football Conference was starting up, and uh, they were going to uh, they were going to grab Cleveland. That was kind of a, one of the one of the factors in the uh, Cleveland Rams' decision to move was the creation of the Cleveland Browns. And uh, uh, Paul Brown had been hired to be the coach and general manager. He was hugely popular in Ohio, and so they knew that this was going to be a threat to them. Uh, so they they really were serious about getting out of, uh, and, and they also looked at Dallas. They had, they put a deposit down on the cotton bowl. If they couldn't get a deal in LA, that was where they were going to go instead. Uh, but the, the, uh, all American football conference came aggressively to the West coast and to San Francisco with the 49ers who ultimately joined the NFL, uh, 
uh, and the L.A. Dons that were a celebrity-owned team. Don Amici, the actor, was the the, uh, the the face of the of the club. At Bob Hope and others uh, were investors, and uh, so the feeling was that that the, the Rams really needed to. That knowing what Kenny Washington would do for the box office, uh, they had to get him over the Dons. And I, I, I wondered if the Dons had been more aggressive, if the Dons had gone after Kenny Washington and and maybe made a business decision as opposed to a football decision and gone for Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and beat the Rams to the punch, would things have been different? Would we be mm-hmm. looking at the L.A. Dons now uh, rather than the Rams? Who would have survived in Southern California back then? It's an interesting thing to to look and, back on and wonder. And there might have been more than three teams merging in the NFL at, at the right. end of four years. It could have been maybe a whole league merger or or four teams. You know, who knows? That's right. Oh, you're right. That's right. That's yeah. interesting. Interesting to think about. Okay, so let's get back to Kenny. So how how did Kenny fare? Uh, you know, he's he, he's like you know what seven eight years out of college at this point for his first NFL game. How how is he? Uh, doing in the NFL as a player? Not well. And, and the reason for that was uh, in his final season there with the Hollywood Bears, he suffered uh, a, a terrible knee injury. And so a month after he signed, the Rams strongly urged him to have the knees looked at and the, the, the doctors strongly recommended surgery. So in April, uh, Kenny Washington had surgery to both knees. I think the right knee was uh, – a fairly minor. It was just cleaning out some things, but the left knee, uh, there was a lot of damage. And uh, so it was a, a very, very extensive procedure on the left knee. Uh, so the difficulty he had his first season in the NFL in 1946, uh, a, he was still recovering from knee surgery. He was not the same guy physically. Uh, and, and B, he was in an entirely different system. The Hollywood bears used pretty much the same type of an offensive system that Washington had been in at UCLA and also in high school, the single wing. And it was probably the best system to capitalize on his skills. Uh, the Rams, though, were not uh, – they, they, did, they did not want to use that system. And so they initially thought, do we take advantage of his throwing arm or, or his, his running ability? And they thought, well, with the knee surgeries, his running ability is not what it once was, so let's take advantage of his throwing arm. Now, they already had Bob Waterfield at quarterback. Uh, you know, he had, he had been the NFL MVP the previous year as a rookie. And Waterfield was a huge Kenny Washington fan. He grew up in Van Nuys. He, he went to UCLA. He grew up idolizing Kenny Washington. So uh, the good thing for Kenny was that Waterfield really took him under his wing and went out of his way to teach him the offense, teach him nuances of the quarterback play in the offense. Uh, but he had a couple of missteps in practice that aggravated the knee injury um, because you, you weren't taking the snap out of like a shotgun. You were up under center and having to backpedal. He'd never had to do that before. So he had so much to learn. Uh, he did start at quarterback in their final exhibition game, uh, but it really didn't do very well. Uh and it was about three games into the season when they finally thought, we really need a fullback in this system, and maybe that's the best use of Kenny Washington. And So they made him a fullback, and that's where he stayed for the rest of his career. Um, but his play that first season in 46 was so poor that the Rams sat him down at the end of the year. And I don't think it was anything they really had to do, but, but they really needed to make it clear. And they said, if this is the best we're going to get out of you, it's not going to work. And 
and we need you to realize that and maybe help us out as well that in training camp next year if we don't see an improvement you know we're, we we don't have we will not have a place for you on the team and it might be best if, if you simply take the high road and announce your retirement well just the opposite Kenny worked like a fiend in that off season uh, he went out and he ran hills around Los Angeles uh, he and Waterfield and Woody Strode uh, went to a park almost every day and, you know, ran pass routes. Uh, he rode a stationary bike uh, just about every day. He went and he played handball with Bob Waterfield almost every day. And then he took up golf. And it wasn't just to learn the game, which he, he certainly wanted to do. He became a very good golfer, um, very competitive over the years in amateur tournaments around Southern California. But he wanted to to walk the hills on, on hilly courses in Southern California, anything and everything he could do to strengthen his legs and rehabilitate the knees. And when he reported to training camp before the 1947 uh, uh, season, uh, yeah, they they clearly knew they they had a different guy. That he wasn't the Kenny at UCLA, but he was a lot better than the Kenny of 1946, and uh, he was used a lot more. And in in that year, he uh, he ripped off what is to this day the Rams' record for the longest touchdown run in a game. Uh, he had a 92-yard uh, touchdown run from scrimmage in a game against the Cardinals. Uh, but later in that game, the Cardinals' defenders, many of whom were from the South, uh, they piled on, uh, twisted, maliciously twisted his leg, and re-injured the knee. And at the time yeah. of the injury, he was second in the NFL in rushing. Uh, so he was really having a terrific season. A lot of the sports writers in Los Angeles were saying, you know, Kenny's back. Uh, this is the Kingfish, the nickname they, that he went by. This is the Kingfish we know. Uh, and there was a lot of excitement about it. Uh, but but the season uh, kind of tapered off late with the injury. And then uh, the final, his final season in 1948, uh, he was injured a lot of the season. And so about two-thirds of the way through, uh, he he stepped up and, and announced that uh, there was going to be the end of his career, that, uh, you know, he couldn't do the things that he had once been able to do. Well, I mean, just sit there and think about uh, what this young man did uh, in his football accomplishments. And like I think we alluded to in the beginning, here's a very underappreciated player in football history that contributed so much. How many people know that he was, you know, the first uh, African-American to sort of break that second racial barrier, you know, in the time right after the war. But the things that he did for the UCLA program, which I didn't realize the importance he had, you know, the with the longest pass in, in college history or UCLA history, the longest run for the Rams uh, for, for many years, just the accomplishments and uh, you know, the what he did is just is tremendous and what he had to go through to do that outside of the arena of football was amazing too. But he was UCLA's first ever first team, all American in football. Uh, he was on eight of nine, all America teams, uh, first team, all America uh, coming out of UCLA in 1939 and uh, coming out of UCLA in 39, the school retired his number 13. He was the first athlete at UCLA to ever have his number retired. And as I touched on earlier, he was the unanimous winner of the Fairbanks Award. So we have the Heisman today, but back then we had the Heisman and the Fairbanks Award. The Fairbanks Award was named for the actor Douglas Fairbanks, who sponsored the award. And uh, every year up till that point in 39, 
The winner of the Fairbanks Award was also the guy who won the Heisman Trophy. But that particular year, Henny got very little Heisman Trophy backing at all. The West Coast writers went for him. Southern writers, almost to a man, did not vote for him. East Coast and Northern writers, uh, he didn't get a lot of support, largely because they'd never seen him. You know, you didn't have Sports Center, And right. UCLA's games out on the West Coast didn't always get in the East Coast papers. They might get a line or two, and Henny might get a little headline. Uh, but, uh, you know, the East Coast papers and the – you know, the Midwest uh, large papers, you know, they were covering the Notre Dame guys and the big schools of the East, and, and Kenny's results were often buried. So uh, he didn't get much support at all. He was not a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, let alone the winner of the Heisman Trophy. But the way the Fairbanks Award was voted on was very different. Um, a uh, sports writer in Los Angeles working with Douglas Fairbanks coordinated this, and he polled every player in college football every player in college football and asked them who the best player was that they played that year. And then he had other, other questions about position by position to create all America teams. Um, but for the Fairbanks award, every player in college football was asked to name the best player they played against. And the only player that got every vote from every player that played against him, was Kenny Washington. He was the first and only unanimous winner of the Fairbanks Award. And Douglas Fairbanks died uh, in his sleep uh, just a couple of weeks before the presentation to Kenny. They kept the award going another couple of years, and his estate elected uh, to, to stop sponsoring it, uh, I think, during World War II. And, and that's when they stopped giving out the Fairbanks Award. Wow. Uh, Dan, you have a lot of great details and uh, you know great appreciation. You can you tell you did a lot of great research and, and work on it. Why don't you uh, give us the name of the book again and where folks can get it so they can get in and enjoy some of these little tidbits that we didn't talk about today that but can appreciate uh, your your work and research on Kenny Washington and especially the legend Kenny Washington himself. Thanks, Darren. I appreciate it. It's called Walking Alone, the untold story of football pioneer Kenny Washington. Uh, Roman and Littlefield is the publisher. And of course, uh, you can purchase it at their website, uh, roman.com, R-O-W-M-A-N.com. Yes, like almost every book out these days, it's on Amazon. And it's also on Barnes and Noble's website as well. I appreciate their help and support on this. So, yeah, thank you very much for the plug. Yeah, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on here. And, you know, first of all, for preserving football history with this, this great book and coming on here and you know, promoting it and t telling us about this legend of the game and uh, for your time uh, tonight and, you know, and for the book. So thank you very much, Dan. Darren, always great to chat with you, and I appreciate the, the opportunity to do so tonight. Thank you very much. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.